0: on a roller coaster sailing across the sky and the only trouble
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry, and for all of you out there. The Heart of the Matter television network is up and running. You can find it on regular broadcast television in the Salt Lake Valley on KPDR 19.8 Three, take a look. there it is we have some goals in mind with the station right now it's not running as we ultimately want it to so bear with us we're working uh, hard on getting it right Seth Marnita everybody involved and Mary that means all of our technical issues are being worked out our programming is being put in place and uploaded some are being removed some are being added and uh we are uh highlighting, trying to highlight the Word of God being taught. We've found that some of our programs haven't been doing that, so we're we're gonna constantly work on this till we get it right. Part and parcel of this, our primary goal is to start airing any and all uh, pastors who teach the word. And that especially means local pastors here in Utah. So we are currently integrating two local church pastors teachings into our uh, into our lineup. We hope for more. And any Christian pastor who teaches the word is welcome. Even those who don't like me or agree with me, they're welcome to be on the air and teach the word of God. Uh, Airing is free of charge. And at the same time, we're creating, producing some of our own programming. Uh, True Ott, PhD, he's going to be hosting a show called Making the Bible Count. That will be coming out. Another is called Unscripted. You'll be seeing that. Another one is interviewing college kids at Christian universities. All on its way, God willing. Also, we're very excited about this. But on Sundays at 10 and 2.30, uh, you can go to the website and watch hard, Watch our teachings at campus live and streaming. In other words, people can tune in and make this their church. We're doing it for people who are bedridden or housebound, they can't get out, or people who haven't found a church that they like, they can tune in and join our church family online. Uh, From here, we are then taking the network out to other markets. We're gonna focus, when I say that, I don't mean Dish, Direct, and Cable. We're taking them out to other uh, low-power broadcast markets beginning in Vegas and and in uh, Bakersfield, California. And we're gonna to continue to try to hit the low-power stations represent 20% of the United States with this programming of Teaching the Word. And then we are hopefully gonna to try to get picked up by Dish, Comcast, Cable uh, that will give... Um, this approach to doing Christian television legs. You may have noticed that we have some teachers that uh, are Calvinists on the air, that we have some pre-trib pastors. We have some even some dude who calls himself a Christian anarchist for heaven's sake. Here's the deal, Christ is preached, he is hailed, he's promoted as the only way, truth, and life. So while I personally will question on this show certain stances that uh, religious uh, teachers will make, Um, Our ministry does not believe in ostracizing brothers and sisters who believe differently. Nobody has it all right. And as a result, everyone who loves the Lord teaches the word and knows that Jesus is the author and finisher of the faith is welcome here on the uh, Heart of the Matter television network. Of course, you will not see Latter-day Saints teaching Mormonism on the network, nor Buddhists or Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses, but you will see uh, all from the body are welcome. This being said, the venom from the Christian attackers continues to mount against the ministry, even against this station. We're having people who are in the state calling up presenters who have been aired on the station and telling them, you have to pull your programming off the station. It has gotten so bad. Uh, Where does this conform to how we see the world and think or be cast out mentality come from in the body of Christ? I mean, if I learned that there was a homosexual-owned, atheist-run television station in San Francisco that was airing Heart of the Matter, I would praise God. Because then you have people who are watching that channel, they get exposed to, to the teachings of God's word. How could anybody who is teaching God's word and God's message pull back from having it aired so other people could see it. It's beyond me, but we're gonna talk about this in a minute. Right now, how about a moment from The Word.
2: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts sang, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
1: I want you to know I love the word of God, the Bible. It's his living word to those who seek it. There is no book like it, no other book of scripture. I trust completely in its contents. In John chapter 14, verse two, Jesus says to the 12, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself and where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way you know. Thomas says to him, Lord, we know not whither you go, and how can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Put Thomas in there. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I want all who are watching the show tonight and who will later to know that we openly teach and embrace these words of our God and King Jesus Christ completely. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No person comes to the Father but by him. King Jesus by and through his shed blood not only saved me from hell, from the lake of fire, from myself, but saved me to his righteousness, his kingdom, his way, his truth, and his light, not from anything I have done, not due to anything I will do, but by and through him and him alone, I am reconciled to the Father. It is our ambition to help any and all who seek him to come to know him in the same way. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we seek you and love you. We need you, Lord, and we pray that your spirit will be with us wherever we are physically here in the studio tonight or out there in in TV land or wherever this show will be seen online. We pray that those who are seeking truth's eyes will open and there will be understanding. And where I make mistakes, it will be forgotten. We pray this and thank you for our volunteers and all that you've done to make this ministry go forward in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Excuse me, we are still talking about God, but I wanna break stride for a minute and introduce something to you. A number of weeks ago, I drew an illustration on the board. It looked like that. And what it is is I had a woman, I drew a woman on one side. She's the one wearing the dress and she's standing next to a trash can. And on the other side, she represents Mormonism. And then on the other side of her, we have a man standing there and he's standing next to a trash can and he represents traditional modern day evangelical Christianity. And I said, listen, we're gonna discuss a number of topics and we put those topics between them, below them, and God was the first one. Remember that? Well, the topic we decided to really get into was God, and so we first talked about the LDS view of God, and we talked about how they have an anthropomorphic view of God, saying that the Father is in a body of flesh and bones, and we said, garbage. And the trash can was served to throw that in the garbage because it's not going to be part of the playing field in helping bring this couple together to produce a child called truth. And that's what we're about. We're trying to help where can the LDS say, okay, that's all right, and where are the Christians say, okay, this is good, and come together and they can produce offspring called truth. So we have to get rid of the, the falsehoods, we have to get rid of the things that make the playing field uneven, and I suggested that those things are man made. So we said no more anthropomorphic God from Mormonism and we said no more of this God had a father who had a father who had a father and this eternal regression of gods and all that stuff. And so we picked on the Mormons first and we said they gotta get rid of that stuff. And then we looked at the other stick figure representing Christianity, the man, and I openly and in the context of leveling the playing field tossed out the non-biblical man-made term Trinity and the creeds that man created to describe it. Holy reaction from hell, Batman. The brothers went stark staring mad. I mean, they were renting their clothes and tossing ashes in the air and frothing at the mouth. And the attack has been nothing short of astounding. Since the show, I've really had to step back and, and shine a light into my own heart and head. And I've had to say, what the heck has happened? I really didn't get it when I did it. I mean, obviously I struck a nerve and I am at fault for not realizing what a sacred cow, that term Trinity, is to historic and present day Christendom. And I'm sorry about that. I mean, I do readily take the LDS view of God and I say, throw it in the trash can I guess the LDS are so used to being trashed on their theology that they just sit there, yeah. But when I said the Trinity garbage, whoo, I mean, uh, to me, any man-made term, no matter how sacred is disposable, any. And it wasn't a big deal to me, not so to others I've painfully discovered. But to me, since God himself does not describe himself in this way, I think he would have used that term in the description of himself uh, if he wanted us to think it. So the fact that he didn't, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. Stupid Sean sticking his foot back in the mud again. And listen, if a person here who comes to campus or watches the show, really wants or loves the term Trinity and the creeds, have at him, man, I don't care, feel free. You're welcome in in my life as a friend and a brother and in this ministry. But in context of our discussion of what we presented here on the board, it's only fair that if we're gonna get rid of the LDS's man-made stuff conjured out of Smith's mind and imagination, then I am still gonna put the term Trinity in the proper receptacle. Okay, So please don't view this as my not having utmost love and respect for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I do. Anyway, I've been trying to rack my brain and understand why certain Christians, true believing brothers, solid brothers in the faith, have turned so strongly against my views, and not only my views, my person, my Christianity, this ministry. Many of you watched Inquisition 2014. That was just merely representative of the animus, the overwhelming animus that's come out for my person as a Christian. A few days ago, I came to understand literally like a light turned on for the first time where the real problem lies. I hope by trying to explain this and illustrate this possibly tonight if we have time, that it will go a long way in bridging some of the gap that exists between those who now ardently oppose us and the ministry we're involved in. All of this division that has come because I I said Trinity, garbage can, boils down in the end to a combination of personality and worldview. Personality and worldview, let me make my argument. And it's it's really nothing new. God has created, I mean, a world full of right brain people, and left brain people. He has created and allowed people to choose in their personality to be liberals, to be conservatives, to be Republicans and Democrats and socialists and imperialists and fascists and communists and libertarians. We have all this stuff going on between us when it just comes to regular old politics. Uh, He has given us a world of skin color. We have black people and brown people and red people and yellow people and white people and we have different cultures that come along with those colors and those places that we come from. We have the North, we have the South, we have the free and the chained, we have females and we have males, we have straight people and we have gay people. And unfortunately, in between all of this, each party is inclined to point at the other and say right, and the other says wrong, and some say good, and the other says evil, and you know, Christian and not Christian. Just how different can a believer be in personality and worldview and still be considered a Christian? Let me ask you that question again. Just how different can a believer be in personality and worldview and still be considered a Christian? You see, well-established in the Christian church, are all sorts of accepted personality types and all sorts of accepted worldviews. At the top of the heap, we have an echelon of personality types that have pretty much governed and ruled since the end of the apostolic days. These types are scholars and theologians and apologists that have Come out with things like Calvinism and Arminianism, and they're preterists and they're pretribbers, and it's all theologically based. And they're at the top of the heap when it comes to sort of guiding and setting the rules for how Christianity exists. From their sometimes ivory towers, biblical interpretations have kind of rained down upon the masses, the, and the unlearned masses and theology and accepted doctrine has, for the most part, been teased apart and sorted and fitted to make sense by the, by the theologians, by the intellectuals, by the, the linear thinkers. For the most part, we are quite accepting of the place and thoughts of these thinkers, so long as they hold fast and echo all the historical sentiments of the people who came before them get too far out of line, they're rejected. And I get this completely. As Christians, we have hills that we die on, and um, in fact, it's these very hills that we use to show the LDS how wrong they are. We say, this is what the Bible says, LDS, and so there are things which we theologically stand for and fight for. I do not, even with my personality type, I do not want anything in my worldview as a Christian, in my faith, in my walk, that does not fit within sound biblical representations. Make sure you remember that. Since the death of the apostles, it seems the material church has long marched, however, to the orders of the theologians, to those who think in linear terms, who appeal to pure logic and reason who see and read the word according to a specific worldview and a specific personality type. And such personality types have long employed and promoted this sort of line by line ordered methodology on how they believe Christianity should be studied and seen and taught and believed. They give their type of thinking names like they call them systematic theology, process theology. And from their collective point of view, they believe there is an established correctness on how everyone has to read and see God, the Bible, and Christianity. Now, I for one am very grateful for these men and women Their linear thinking and logic and reason goes a long, long way in helping other believers understand complex principles of scripture. I often compare their points of view when I come upon a passage that is difficult. Unfortunately, their specific worldview and personality is generally embraced and promoted by the mass because of a couple factors. One, the masses don't know better and they look up to smart men and women. And two, most successful men and women are linear thinkers, most. They're the businessmen, they're the lawyers, they're the the thinkers, they're the uh, engineers. And so when the engineers and the lawyers and uh, these types of thinkers hear theology from similar minded men and women, they say, ah, this is true. And because such men are typically successful and therefore listened to, these views take center stage and are deemed absolute. The result is a theology, even Christian praxis, that is extremely ordered, linear, and logical. Naturally, men and women who possess this thinking become quite adept at apologetics. Uh, which they often go into. They often become great polemicists. That's another word for great arguers. Um, using chapter and verse to establish their worldview and show a system on how this is how it needs to be seen and believed. You have to take note that this method of linear thinking and logic and reason came from the Greeks. two, uh, Three or 400 years before Christ was born, the Greeks were the first ones to put Uh, numbers by the lines of their writings. Why did they do this? They did it so that in debate and in argument of logic and reason, they could cite chapter and verse of this line, but it says here, there, and it says this, there, and that's why they put numbers right by their words uh, that were written. And so it was the Greeks who brought this and they did this so that they could prove their arguments to be true. We note, Listen carefully that the Old and New Testament, written primarily by Jews, God did not tell them to organize the written word in this form. It was presented to us in a different fashion. It was written in a grand narrative, like a story. And the Jews would write like you would uh, watch a really good movie where you could start with something that happened in the past go back to the present, go to the future, go back to the past. They wrote like movie, like script writers would write. And so they had this grand narrative that we would appeal to if we read it in that way, okay? I am of the opinion that we have lost reading scripture from the grand narrative view in our day and age and have instead used the word to prove theology, established doctrine, to argue with each other and to win instead of discover truth. So it was the 13th century, uh, 1280 something, that Archbishop Stephen Langdon, a Catholic, introduced chapter and verse into the New Testament. And so we lose, because our minds stop with each number, we lose what the context is just by virtue of how humans think. Additionally, when Luther put the, the New Testament together for us, He took the order of the epistles, which were written chronologically and gave us a grand narrative and a story. He took them and he broke them up and put them in a different order. And so now when we read, we don't get the grand narrative or the picture. We just get segments from the epistles about what they are saying. So while some of the systematization is beneficial, it's been detrimental as well. Relative to our topic tonight, I believe the numbering of the word inadvertently introduced a new way of reading the Bible to the reader. And linear thinkers, uh, men of great reason and mind, who think more logically and systematically found a home, even a throne, upon which to dominate from. Before long, such men were able to take the content of these narratives and create entire systems of thought, in some cases, that they said have to be embraced by the masses. In some cases, you will die if you don't agree with the way that we have systematized the New Testament back in Geneva, etc. Unfortunately, here in the 21st century, it seems that apologists and intellectuals and scholars and doctors of divinity decide for us what the Bible says and how it must be understood or else you're going to be deemed heretical. This is a far cry, far, far cry from the uneducated fishermen and tax collectors that Jesus picked, right? It's a far cry. The Jews, they gathered around and they looked at Jesus in John 7:15. And they ask, how knowest this man letters, having never learned? Meaning having never gone to college for the the learned to learn what he was gonna learn. It's such a far cry from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 23 and how it describes the true Christian it doesn't give us ivory tower theologians and, and logicians and, and all this stuff. Listen to what it says. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us uh, which are saved. It is the power of God. No need to understand a different language, to understand the preaching of the cross. For it is written, I will, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, listen, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. Remember how the Greek philosophers received Paul when he gave his message, Acts 17, 18? It says, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered Paul and said, what will this babbler say? It goes on, talks about more, but that's that's the quote that they, that's how these genius men referred to Paul, as a babbler, because they were so smart and lofty in their perspective. I think Paul says it perfectly in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, when he wrote, now as touching things offered to idols, this is a subject, we know that we all have knowledge. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an insight. We all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up but charity edifies. And if any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know it. Meaning, if you think your knowledge should trump faith, should trump love, should trump uh, being kind to a brother or sister, you don't know anything, dude. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians, you can have all knowledge, And if you don't have love, you have nothing. Knowledge does not do it. He he finishes there and he says, but if a man loves God, the same is known of him. So while I accept all of these personality types truly and worldviews as brothers and sisters in Christ, and while I have personally benefited from knowledge and I'm not against knowledge when served up in love, I have of late become greatly intrigued by the treatment other Christians receive from the hands of our modern day scholars who happen to read and understand the Bible with a little more liberty, or shall we say a little less dogma? And is it possible that the gospel today has become or is becoming too logical, too knowledge based, too linear? Could it be that I have not been able to relate to many of my brothers and sisters because I have never been a linear thinker or mathematic, or instead I've been a gulp artist, liberal? Is that the big division? I think it is, go, with, back, go back with me to 2003. This is before three years before Heart of the Matter started. And so I wrote uh, Born Again Mormon, and my wife and I published it, and we, it was sat in our garage, And if you open one of, or if you take one of these original copies and look at it, uh, you're going to see things that drive the linear, mathematically, logically business-oriented believers absolutely crazy. Okay, first of all, it's black and white. Second of all, it's called Born Again Mormon. What the heck is that, they said. Now, then if you open it up and you look at at the, the opening quote, The apologists online went crazy with this. I put a quote by Walt Whitman. It says, the words of my book, nothing. The drift of it, everything. And they would write online, what does that mean? What kind of relativist lingo is that? Well, you know, then I didn't put any page numbers in this thing. So people could not find where I said this and things that I said, like, if you're LDS, Stay LDS, it's okay. Knowing that God, once Jesus is introduced to the heart, will lead them out. All of this stuff took the linear thinkers, the the guys who say it has to fit this model, and said, to hell with you. I think there's another way. I think there's things I see in scripture that you don't. Do I have that right? I have never really thought about this at all until this recent fallout, but I am a Christian artist, and, and not a Christian that produces works of art, but a Christian who sees Christianity artistically, who reads through the Bible with a lens that, that linear-minded men cannot understand, and, re, and, and, and they refute. I believe both the linear thinkers and Christian artists are all moved by the Holy Spirit to reach and speak and to arrive at different conclusions that all lead to the same thing, but linear thinkers do not agree with this. Lately, I started to introduce myself to some Christian scholars and theologians I've met as a Christian who truly sees everything Christ artistically. And the response is always the same and always hilarious. as I'm met with this blank stare and then they go right back to their linear thinking to get me to embrace. There there is no ability to like relate with each other on this this, uh, basis. Is there a place in the body of Christ for the Christian artist? Or will we all be tossed to the curb as being too out there, too liberal, too heretical? or not educated enough to understand the things of God? I think it's really an important question in this day and age, especially even in this state. I think, in fact, that it's high time the apologists and the scholarly and the intellectuals make some room for those Christians who walk to the beat of a different drummer. Who, you know, like, sorry to quote him, Nietzsche said, those who cannot hear the music think the dancers mad. I'm not suggesting any belief or doctrine that is extra biblical, none. But I am suggesting it's high time for those who see and think differently to be given the right hand of fellowship instead of the left boot. In fact, let me put it this way. I refuse to be excluded anymore from uh, my place in the body of Christ. You have no right to do this. You have no right to look at another person who believes and claims the biblical Christ and to say, you're not a Christian. You're not born again. You're not like us, so get out of here. That is done. It's so ridiculous what we do to each other. We kill each other and stomp on each other when we should be saying, look at your linear thinking, thank you for your contribution. You're more artistically minded, thank you for those insights. I will not in the name of all who have been kicked to the curb because they have a different worldview than the theologians allow myself or my family to be relegated to the ranks of not real Christian because I question the eternality of hell or the man-made term trinity or have allegiances to something called Christianarchy by Leo Tolstoy long ago We embrace you, your thoughts, your justification for refusing love to its fullest for others. It's time you received us and see how we love and see and worship the true and living God. Differing views on non-essentials must be allowed, even entertained, even taught, even taught. Or far too many people who love the Lord as much as you do, they might even love him even more for all we know will be ignored and cut off and allowed to die a spiritual death because you wanted to keep things in the, in the way that you see them. That's just wrong. Let's open up the phone lines. What is the number? 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. In fact, we've got the lines are full, but I just lost this. What line? Number one? We're trying number one tonight. Number one, you are on the air. Hi, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well, how are you doing?
3: Doing good, I was just, uh, I thought of a quick quote actually while I was on hold when you were talking about the, you know, like the fishermen and the tax collectors and stuff. And I remember, uh, I was thinking about um, John Owen and John Bunyan and John Bowen was, John Bunyan was really not an educated guy but John Owen, who was super educated, went to listen to him preach, and so King Charles asked him, "He's like, why'd you go listen to this guy? That he's he's just a mere tinker." And Owen told him, uh, "I hope it pleases your Majesty if I could possess Tinker's abilities to grip men's heart, I would gladly give in exchange all my learning." So it just wow. kind of reminded me of that.
1: What a great um, line! Yeah. Thank um, you.
3: So I have a quick question, actually, about clarification. Last week when you were talking about the, the kind of the darkness in Genesis 1, yeah, uh, you mentioned it was evil. Um, and I was just kind of wondering, just kind of clarifying, like what was the source of that evil darkness?
1: Uh, there's different theories on it. You know, uh, it could have been uh, that by the presence of uh, the light, the darkness was amplified. There's one thought on that. I don't know if I follow it because I can't understand it. There's the idea that that was Satan cast from uh, heaven and he, uh, they believe there's a gap between verse one and verse two and that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, big gap. And then the angels were cast out during that time. They came to the earth, they destroyed it. And so then God came and he looked upon the earth and it was without form or void and the darkness was upon it. There's that idea. But I believe it's evil because I think that the darkness is personified with that capital D. How it came about, we do read in Psalm that God does, it says he created the evil. So uh, we don't know if that was a purposeful creation in terms of I'm gonna create it to uh, thwart men and get them challenged or if that it manifests itself by virtue of there being light. I don't know the answer to it. Uh, But there's just postulations and, and I just believe Quite frankly, I'll just put it out there. I think evil has as always been so long as God has allowed it. And I don't know how any other way to say it, Dave. you have any insights on it?
3: No, actually, I was just kind of calling to kind of get your thoughts on that because I really, I had, uh, last week was kind of the first I had thought about your what you were saying. So I was just kind of trying to think through that. But Yeah,
1: it's a huge one.
3: I appreciate that. And I guess just one quick thing, and I'll let you, Deal with it off the air. If I didn't know if you did or not, but if you were able to hear uh, Dr. Mueller from the Southern Baptist Convention, I guess spoke at BYU, and I didn't know if you had any thoughts on what he said or anything. But I really appreciate your uh, talking to me, and I uh, thank you.
1: Thanks for watching, Dave. God bless you, my brother. Uh, I didn't see Mueller. My mom told me yesterday she watched him. She was very impressed that BYU was having a Baptist preacher. Uh, I don't remember what he talked on, but I think it was about uh, really, it was about right and wrong and moral purity and fighting for that as believers. And so, on that basis, while we differ theologically with the LDS, we can join hands to fight the world, which I think is just a a mistake. Uh, But in any case, uh, I think that's what it was all about. And if that was what it was all about, I'm completely against that joining hands to fight world evil. I think world evil is what it is. Let's go to Tom in Massachusetts, line two. Tom, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hey, Sean. I haven't talked to you in a while. It's good to hear your voice.
1: Good to hear you. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing well. Um, there's not a lot new in terms of developments. Uh, of course, we're all waiting for, I believe it's this Friday, which is the deadline for Monson or one of his representatives to show up in court. I do believe that he is able to send a, a an attorney to, to be there in his stead, but I haven't gotten confirmation on that. So it's, probably not going to be as dramatic as people are hoping. What I wanted to talk about today were uh, just a couple of talking points for people that discuss this thing with other people. They're common objections that I've heard that I, um, I think there's a way to think about it that would be helpful. Is that all right? Sure. Okay, so the first thing is that frequently you'll get Mormons say, uh, you can't hold the church accountable for people paying tithing because tithing is totally voluntary. Nobody is forcing anyone to do that. And the answer to this is that the fact that it is voluntary makes absolutely no difference. If you think about the analogy for like a real fraud, Bernie Madoff perpetrated the largest financial fraud in history, mm. but every single one of his victims gave him their money voluntarily. Ooh. Just because somebody does something voluntarily doesn't mean that you have absolved the, uh, the fraudulent person of any liability, so that's Great. the first point. Great. The second point is um, people will say, well, you can't hold the church accountable because the church doesn't say here, this is this information, believe us. The church says, this is what you can believe. Each person has to turn to God and receive their own testimony of the truth of it. And so when they pay tithing, it's because they individually have decided to pay tithing. So you can't hold the church accountable for that. Well, again, we have a problem here because for financial fraud like Madoff's, where he posed as a legitimate uh, investment scheme, Um, They have to provide potential investors or potential victims with a portfolio that tells them the types of investments that they have, the track record of the investments that they have, and what has happened in the past. And they say, here's all the data on our investments. You look at it and then decide if you want to invest with us. And if you do, then uh, you can invest with us. So if, if somebody engages in a Ponzi scheme with that sort of information given to them, and then it's told to them that you decide on your own, that does not absolve the uh, the, de- the deceiver of accountability when the deception is discovered. So that's another argument that can really be um, tossed out.
5: Excellent. And
4: the last thing is um, really the fundamental principle that can help explain why these seven claims are important. And that is that The principle of informed consent is what changes um, these voluntary actions into the potential for people being um, victims of fraud. And the way that I explain it is I'm actually a doctor, okay? And so if I, one thing that I have to do is I have to provide adequate information to any patient so that they can make informed consent about um, deciding to undergo a procedure. So if I had, for example, a woman who had an infection in her lead, Um, I would present her with all of the data, and let's say that I presented her with all of the data of studies that have been done and said, you know, there's a greater risk of not doing anything about this infection than there is of doing something about the infection, and I recommend that we amputate your leg, and she looks at all the data, looks at me as a doctor, and agrees to have her leg amputated, okay, so that's the baseline scenario. Now let's go back and change that. Let's pretend that I'm actually, I never went to medical school. I've never done this surgery before. And I'm in the same situation. I explain all of this information to the patient and she agrees. And then I said, oh, there's one more thing. I just want to let you know that I'm not really a doctor and I've never actually done the surgery before. Would she still agree to have her leg amputated? Mm. And I would venture to say she would not. Now, next thing, what if, let's change it up again, what if the studies that I'm basing all the, my recommendation for amputation on were completely made up? Now, let's go back. Let's say I explain it all to her, and she agrees to have the amputation done, and then I say, oh, but wait one second. That data I told you about um, making the right decision, um, cutting off your leg would be the right thing to do, that data was really just made up. We don't know for sure. You know, would she still agree to have the amputation? Again, I would suggest that she would not. And the final one is, what if I told her all this information, but then afterwards I said, uh, and then she agreed to have her leg amputated, then I said, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you a key piece of information. That is that there's a drug that we can give you by IV and (laughs) patients in your situation that get this drug, 99.9% of them don't have to have their legs cut off. In each of those instances, information that I've left out that would have informed her to help her make a better decision and choose not to get amputated, changed the um the scenario um in each instance if i would have still cut on her with withholding that information i would have committed um, assault on her person because i did not perform the adequate informed consent now if you take that into the spiritual realm with the religion um, to give people information but only part of the information that would inform them to make a complete decision is a form of spiritual malpractice
1: jonathan that's excellent. You should, if you if you didn't go into medicine, you should have gone into law.
4: <laughs> well, um, if, if your viewers want a little bit more expanded on this topic, if they go to my blog on thoughtsonthingsandstuff.com, there's um, a two-part article series that explores these concepts and has a bunch of um, references to it, so I'll refer your readers there. Thoughts? Um, that's the update. There's only one other thing that I wanted to let you know of, and um, that is that There is um, something that I happened upon that is one of the biggest bombshells I've ever seen, and I can't believe I've never heard of it anywhere before. And that is that Joseph Smith, when he was doing the translation of the New Testament, actually translated Matthew chapter 26 twice. He did it one time, and then it was lost in their paperwork, and he didn't realize that he had already done it. And so when he resumed several months later his translation, he did the same chapter again, and they're totally different.
1: Never heard of it.
4: It, yeah, if you, you can go to my blog and I have the links to the references of that, and I've shown I have the text for each of them, but it basically shows you that this power of translation that he has is completely non-reproducible. The different words are tossed out, new words are added. He even changes who Christ is talking to in in one instance. And um, it, it was published in a BYU Studies journal in 2003. And I am I'm just floored that nobody knows about this. I, I never I'm heard of it. I didn't know about it.
1: Jonathan, tell us your blog one more time. It's thoughtsonthingsandstuff.com. Thoughtsonthingsandstuff.com. Jonathan, thanks so much. Keep us updated. All right, take care. Okay, bye bye. We're going to Tom now in Massachusetts. Tom, you're on Heart of the Matter.
6: Sean, pleasure to speak with you been following you since the beginning Ooh. and I can identify with where you came from. I spent a large majority of my life in a Christ denying cult. A couple of things I wanted to throw at you <clears throat> because I know that you believe in the word and nothing but the word. One of the underlying principles when you're talking about the characteristics of God that is that Isaiah six tells us that he is holy, holy, holy so there should be a certain amount of underpinning you need to put under that before you start naming all the other things, in my opinion. The other thing I wanted to throw out at you is that I, I know the tendencies that you don't, you're like me, you don't ever want to get fooled again, get sucked into either commercialism or some kind of, you know, religion that tells you what to think. But the Bible itself, which we both believe in, in Second Corinthians 4 tells us that it is the Glorious Gospel of Christ, and that should be a real, humbling way to approach the Word. I think God has really blessed you with what you've been able to do and the fact that you get to spend all that time with somebody like Rob Bowman. I really think that you and know, I know you don't like to put yourself under other teachers and other books, but maybe consider something like a w. Tozer's The Attributes of God or anything that just makes you see not only the importance and fallibility of the word, but that God made it glorious.
1: I really appreciate your comments, Tom. Thanks so much for watching and for your insights.
6: All right, you're welcome, friend.
1: Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Um, I do think there are insights from people like A.W. Tozer. I read him when I was in School of Ministry and, and things like that, touched on him, didn't read all his books. and but I don't have a problem with the Bible's descriptions of the holiness of God. I, I am completely in agreement with him, nor in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I, I haven't needed another person to explain that to me. So it's still, while I, Tom was very nice and he means well, and there appears, from what I've been told, a lot of stuff that where people are saying, He has to, we just urge you so strongly, Sean, to go and read what our forefathers in the church have written. Why? I I don't, I still don't understand why I can't, with the Bible, we believe it's translated correctly for the most part, we fight for that. We believe the Holy Spirit is indwelling in me. I've become a better man as a result of the word and the Holy Spirit in my life and Christ shed blood. Uh, the, the Lord has been fruitful through the ministry in reaching people. You want me to all of a sudden go back and get a PhD in what men have said because I disagree with you on a couple points. It doesn't make sense to me, I'm sorry. And I think that a grandma who has faith and love and reads the Bible in Nebraska, who's blind in one eye and deaf in one ear is just as smart as me or any PhD. So why this is so strange uh, and hard to accept by people is really funny to me. Okay, we're gonna go to Charlie in Salt Lake City. Charlie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Charlie. 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 Charlie bit me. Charlie. Not there. We're gonna go to Jeff from Provo, Utah. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jeff? 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 We're going to Jim in Lehigh, Utah. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hey, thanks, Sean. First off, I love what you're saying. Praise God. I feel like you're on the cutting edge of how the Christian church must grow in order not to become irrelevant in the future. Praise God. I think your critics have hid behind their own moralism to establish their own personal and institutional righteousness Ooh. and to hide their lack of transformational and real experience with Christ. Woo! Moreover, I think your critics are engaging in boundary marking, groupthink, and moralism that will not lead them to any deep encounters with God. Wow. And without that transformational experience with Jesus, there's simply not gonna be any fruits of the spirit, love, patience, or brotherly kindness, Sean, only the predictable cultural values and moral biases of today's political Christianity that substitutes for real and radical experiences with God. Moreover, Sean, I think your critics use their judgments of you to hide the truth of who they are from God. And perhaps that's why, Simone Will said in, the, in the various ways, that it's easier to make non-Christians into Christians than it is to make Christians into Christians. Wow. So I want to say to you, my brother, keep up the good work. I think there's an anointing on you to help you lead today's believers into a more mystical and transcendent faith community in Christ for the changing world.
1: Jim, you want your own show? <laughs>
5: Yeah, you're doing great, man. I love your
1: show. Jim, thanks, man. I really, I, I really appreciate that. There's probably going to be some talk that I've set this up or something. I don't know you. Or at least yeah. I don't think I do. But No,
5: I've been reading and studying and transitioning myself and everything I'm reading and feeling and sensing says that, uh, that you're spot on. I think you're right on. I think you're being led and I think the others will one day wake up and realize that there is an anointing on you to actually be their teacher because they get too stuck in their ways of thinking. And at that point would rather be right than be led.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. God bless you, my brother. I look forward to meeting you someday. Love you too. Bye. Oh, I think I hung up on Jim. (laughs) So that's what I do. I make a friend and then uh, let's go to Charlie, line one. Charlie, Salt Lake City, Utah. Charlie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Charlie yeah you're on the air Charlie
2: <laughs> right now I'm on the air okay right now Tom, I don't know if I can follow Tom that was absolutely incredible
1: that was I think it was that Jim was but
2: absolutely incredible I'd just like to say that I came to know the Lord without even knowing any of the Bible or any of the word yeah and when I received the Holy Spirit it was long after i received the spirit of god and believed in god before i heard any of the gospel and came to know the truth yeah and what i see going on right now with you and and the leaders of this community and the christian community i'm appalled they should take an opportunity to look back at the old at at the gospels and see themselves as pharisees mm. of what they're doing and their beliefs and their linear thinking it mm. it just amazes me and I'm really embarrassed at the Christian community when we have so many people you've pulled out of Mormonism and they look at what's going on with the church and the vultures have got their fan or their talons out, it's ridiculous, Sean. Well,
1: thanks, That's, Charlie.: But we, we keep can up show the good
2: work and we're certainly praying for you, my we, brother. We
1: can show them a better a better way, can't we? We can. Yeah,
2: absolutely need to because it's, I mean, they spend so much time on end time theologies and things like that. They lose, we're losing sight of what's (laughs) really necessary in the world to keep. I, all I can say is I I know that the true believers have truly been born again. God's church is truly out there. What we're seeing is the, um, what I want to say, the good faith movement that's out there now is so artificial, yeah, it's just unbelievable.
1: Um, Charlie, thank you so much. God bless you, my brother.
2: God bless you, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. You know, this type of thing could make me cry because to know there are believers, and I know there are like who come to campus and things, but to know out there who are watching, who they have this heart for, and love and faith is what guides them. And like Charlie said, I didn't know anything when I was born again. I am not against knowledge. I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to gain knowledge, but that knowledge means nothing if faith and love is not ahead of it. And we're losing that. I have lost it. Admittedly, I have done things that are not loving and things that are out of faith. I wanna repent and move forward and let's get moving on this stuff together. So we're always gonna repent. We're always gonna make mistakes. I hold nothing against the the, the people, but let's get over it and let's move forward in faith and love to light the state on fire. One last call, Jeff, in Provo, Utah. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. I think Jeff's just kissing the phone. Stop it, Jeff, no tongue. Jeff?
7: Hello?
1: You're on the air. Hey, So.
7: I've uh, been watching show for a little bit, and I understand you disagree with law and Mormon principles and doctrines. Yeah, but I find a major flaw in one of your foundations that you use to teach against Mormon principles and doctrines. And I've been trying to watch from completely objective point of view to
1: uh-huh.
7: try to understand you know, what side you're coming from. But you use the Bible as your main source to teach against Mormons.: Yeah, and I don't understand. How uh, you could use something that has contradicted itself in multiple different spots, and is, to be quite honest with all due respect and reverence to the Bible, something that is flawed and has, we know it's not perfect from history, yeah. not from the religious standpoint, from a historical ba- background. Oh. How can we use something that is flawed to prove that something else is flawed? That well, doesn't click in my head.
1: Well, first of all, we see that God works through man in a couple of uh, like dual ways. He works through us spiritually and he works through us physically. That's why the word became flesh. So we had the, the spirit of God merging with the flesh of God. So he just doesn't establish things from a spiritual realm. So he's also established things in a physical realm. So when we look at the Old Testament, we know that there was a place where the Old Testament speaks of and there was a history. Now you can say it has flaws and there are a couple dates and, and punctuation things. But when you say contradictions, they are few and far between. I would challenge you to show me them because I think most of them have a really good explanation. Is it, is the, what we have in our hand. Can I, give you, can I provide an example? You can, but I don't know if I can answer it now. Give me the example. I'll look it up next week and, and address it.
7: Okay, First John 1, 8, I believe it is, says no man has seen God at any time and lived. Yeah. Genesis 32, 20 says, and I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Yeah. And that's one of many. And I, I am completely objective. I am a Latter-day Saint. I believe it fully. But I understand that there are principles and doctrines that evangelicals disagree with. But from a completely objective, unbiased standpoint, I don't see how you could prove that Book of Mormon okay. or that Joseph Smith the a
1: fraud by so, using something okay. else. Like if we both go- Okay, now wait, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait. Jeff, you, Jeff. i ah, back out. Jeff, you, you, if Jeff. I have two sets of instructions. Jeff, Jeff, you, you gave- one Jeff, 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 Jeff. We you, both know Jeff. history that your if set of instructions me. is
7: flawed. If I say- has uh, something that's in here and there. How can you use F-M, that to prove that my additional <laughs> set is incorrect?
1: Jeff, Jeff. Now, this just, wait a second. You gave me- You gave me a situation. You have said several times that you are objective. That's impossible, Jeff. You're not objective. And when you gave the example you gave me, you have to understand the Hebrew mind. The Hebrews, when they wrote, they wrote things like, God has the wings of a bird. Does that mean God has the wings of a bird? They would say things like, forever and ever and ever. They would say, the whole world but it doesn't doesn't mean the whole world and most of the times they use that. So they use very poetic and flowery language to explain the experience. So when you read two things in the Bible, one that says no man has seen God at any time, that emphatically, and you read another place where it says, and I spoke with God face to face, you have to understand the history of what was going on there and how they wrote. It's very simple. Now you, being LDS, choose to see that as a contradiction. I'll let you die and go to God and say, why did this book you gave us contradict? I see explanations for it that are reasonable. If the Bible says no man has seen God face to face, that's so emphatic, we have to understand other phrases in a new way, and that is not contradictory. So there's my answer to it, and Jeff, we're out of time, but we'll come back and talk about this next week. Uh, We're out of time. We will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
0: I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't be coming out This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start.